The year is 1992. I'm Dave. And I'm Chris Sims. And this is My Marvelous Year. Hello, and welcome to My Marvelous Year, the Marvel Reading Order podcast where we go through Marvel Comics from its origins to today. This is part two of our 1992 coverage. I'm very excited today to be talking about Iron Man issues 282 to 287. We're we'll talking about some War Machine, as well as a very special Captain America story, issues 402 to 407. Cap Wolf. Now, I'm Dave, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. You know me, but I am joined today by a very special guest is Chris Sims. Chris, how are you doing? Dave, I'm doing good. Uh, I just want you to know it's hammer time. <laughs> that it is. It absolutely is. Chris, for people who don't know your work before we get rolling, where uh, would people find you? And um, what are your what are your credentials that make you the world's leading authority <laughs> on Cap Wolf, which I think we've uh, fairly established that you might be? Uh, I, I guess the most relevant uh, experience for for people listening here is that I wrote uh, co-wrote a book called uh, X Men ninety two for Marvel uh, that ran for fourteen issues. It was a four issue miniseries, uh, and then came back for a ten issue ongoing, which is an interesting use of the word ongoing. I will admit, but you know, <laughs> we we had a year in there. Uh, but uh, my writing partner Chad Bowers and I did that book. Uh, that was our first thing uh, we did for Marvel, but we've also done a bunch of other stuff. Uh, we did uh, a Guardians of the Galaxy uh, one-shot uh, that I think is one of our, our most fun stories. Uh, we did a uh, a Jubilee story in the X-Men uh, Christmas, the, the last X-Men book before uh, the relaunch with uh, Hickman. You set them uh, off in style. That's right. Yeah. I, I think it might have been. There it was, it was the Christmas special from that year. And I feel like that was an ending, but that was like 2018. Uh, we did dark Hawk. We did sleepwalker, a lot of nineties theme stuff. I I think we kind of got, uh, maybe pigeonholed just a little bit as the nineties guys, which, you know what? I don't, I didn't really mind because a lot of my career outside of that, uh, where I've been working as a comics critic, uh, for several years, uh, for Comics Alliance, uh, a site that people might remember. Uh, and also, you know, I have a weekly podcast about comics called War Rocket Ajax. And a lot of that career has been kind of going back and reading stuff that people either looked down on or forgot about. And in a lot of ways, you know, a lot of times making fun of it and a lot of times being like, hey, this is good, actually. Yeah. And that is how I feel about Cap Wolf. Cap Wolf is good, actually. <laughs> right. No, 100%. And and that's like so first off like I'm a I've been a listener of War Rocket Ajax. I'm a fan there. Uh you guys do a segment called Every Story Ever mm-hmm. where you rank comics and I feel like in the conversations in which you rank every comic book story ever, which is quite fun to listen to you and Matt Wilson, Cap Wolf comes up in inordinate amount. <laughs> like it comes up proportionally so much more <laughs> than one might expect. Um but it's kind of this baseline uh, it's it's become like a go-to in terms of like is something really good you know like and if it's really good 
you seem content to say, okay, maybe it's better than Cap Wolf, but it really has to prove itself on the merits of how it compares to this Mark Grunewald written uh, saga that we're gonna we're gonna dig into. So it's I, I enjoy it every time it comes up. It's a lot of fun. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. Yeah. Uh, we have a lot of comics on that list, and the mm-hmm. the joke, of course, is that all of the comics have already been ranked. We are merely chipping away at the Marvel to reveal the list mm-hmm. as it exists. Uh, but it is also perhaps coincidentally a list that is very tied into, uh, what Matt Wilson and I like, uh, the, host <laughs> of the show. Yeah. And there are a couple that I think stick out because there's books that we agree on as being way better than everyone else seems to think they are. Uh, Cap Wolf is one of them. A- and I will admit that a lot of my discussions of Cap Wolf are, it's contrarianism because look, I do believe that that book is good, but I know that other people don't believe that story is good. So no, it, mm-hmm. guess what? It's better than Sandman preludes and nocturnes. <laughs> right. It, it, no question about it. Uh, but there's also uh, Marvel two in one annual number seven was on there, which is a book that I love and that Matt loves. And we had somebody write in and say, like, I heard you guys talk about this comic and I, I went and tracked it down because I was like, they're making this sound like the best comic ever. It's mm-hmm. fine. It's kind of <laughs> bad. I'm like, no, incorrect. That book is good. Yeah, so yeah, I look, I have very specific tastes and a, a lot of them are informed by when I was a kid. I mean, I was, the books that we're talking about are from 1992. I was 10. Uh, weirdly enough, I wasn't reading Marvel comics at the time. I was a, I was a DC kid back then. Mm. Uh, but then, in uh, September of that year, uh, Batman the Animated Series came out, and that was life-changing. And then in October of that year, the X-Men Animated Series came out, and I was like, maybe I do like Marvel Comics, actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so hence, that got me into... X-Men 92. Yeah. Yeah. So I got out of reading DC Comics, and then into Marvel. I, you know, I became an X-Men guy, a Spider-Man guy, and it wasn't until... Uh, like Mark Wade, Flash, and Morrison JLA, which would have been like ninety seven, ninety eight. Yeah, that I got back into the DC universe, which that's that is the the true renaissance of the 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 Detective Comics Comics Corporation. Uh, is, is <laughs> yeah, nineteen ninety eight to about two thousand two is the stuff at that. Uh, nineteen ninety seven to two thousand two at DC is great. Yeah, that's a good time to hop back in for sure. All right. It sounds like we have the perfect person on today, which I, I am excited to talk with you. Let's before we get to Cap Wolf, let's start with Iron Man. So again, everybody who's listening, you can find all of the comics that we are going to be talking about today. They're going to be listed in the show notes. You will also find all of the comics that we're going to be talking about next episode in the show notes there as well. So you can play along at home. Of course, we are supported by listeners over at patreon.com slash my Marvel this year. One of the benefits you can get there for as little as $1 a month is you can get access to the full spreadsheet of every comic we're reading year by year, uh, all in one place, uh, as well as some other cool perks if you head over to the Patreon. But otherwise, without further ado, here is Iron Man 282 to 287. This is the the War Machine, the start of War Machine. Chris, one thing I had completely forgotten, and I've mm-hmm. read these before, was that Tony starts in the War Machine armor? Like I thought, so on the cover, you got that sweet neon pink retro right over of the Iron Man logo saying War Machine. I, I in my memory, was like, oh yeah, they just go straight to Rhodey or like, you know, Tony's going to very quickly give it to him. No, Tony plays the War Machine role for like 
two-ish issues. Uh, I had forgotten about that entirely, and it's it's a it's a fun story. I I enjoy this intro of War Machine. They're very much going for that, and we're gonna see this through the Iron Man stuff we talk about and the Cap stuff we talk about. How the influence of like what '90s kids think is cool is really tugging at the Avengers right now. Like they really kind of are having a crisis of cool in a way of they kind of want the attitude of here with war machine specifically of like punisher you know but like no casualties punisher you know so like he busts out this you know this armor that has laser cannons and blasters everywhere but no one can actually die when he apprehends criminals right so it's like there's clearly an influence of and you see this in cap wolf specifically of punisher ghost rider wolverine cable and uh, in Iron Man and, and Captain America, these creators are trying to figure out like, okay, but what do we do? What do we do with these tried and true <laughs> Avengers? <laughs> Chris, what's your what's your take on these Iron Man issues? And, and what are the things that stand out to you? You know, it's, it's really interesting that you talk about how these books are kind of rooted in what kids in the 90s thought, like the things we thought were cool back then. And I'm, I'm wondering, what was it that made you think that? Was it was it adding more guns to the Iron Man armor, which is essentially a gun you can wear? Or was it when the four ninjas showed up in this comic? Yeah, yeah. I, I think definitely the guns first. Uh, the extensive use of Tony's private ninja army <laughs> was definitely came up as well. Yeah, and in and, and Cap too, like, and we'll we'll get to the story, but actually in issue 401, there's um he's lit Captain America, so Mark Runewald kind of is almost using Steve as like a mouthpiece as, as creators so often can. Right. And he literally has a line in that issue build up to, to cap wolf where he says something to the effect of like, yeah, I guess, uh, I guess I'm just not cool. Like Wolverine ghost rider and cable. Like it's, it's like almost exact dialogue. I'm paraphrasing slightly, <laughs> but just, you can see it just weighing so hard on, on these creators. And so I, I should mention here for Iron Man, we have Len Kaminsky, Kevin Hopgood, Bob Wycheck, Mike Rockwitz on colors and Michael Heisler on letters. Um, this Kaminsky run goes for about 40 issues through 1995. Uh, it's yeah. a good long run that is not discussed as often as you might think, um, given Iron Man's immense popularity today. But all right, I'll throw it back to you. What uh, What's your read on, on War Machine's debut? Well, you know, that's the, that's the thing I was actually talking about uh, with uh, way back like a couple years ago on the Retronauts podcast, uh, where I... I frequently guest on the retro nazi east episodes and i'm kind of the the resident comics guy and also someone who always wants to talk about castlevania symphony at night uh but people today who weren't reading comics in the 90s or the 80s or the 70s you know like whenever i don't think they understand that no one liked iron man like <laughs> iron right. man was yeah. nobody's favorite character until 2008 and it has been fascinating for me to watch them build a universe around Iron Man because they legally could not do it with their more popular characters. Mm -hmm. Like it, it is fascinating to see a Marvel universe where, where Peter Parker is like the, the heir apparent to Tony Stark as the, like, like we, we, okay. We know Spider-Man has to be, he's the guy on the checks. We know he has to be, a big deal how can we get him there okay well we'll link him to tony stark everyone's favorite avenger uh and so i that's not to say that those issues aren't good like there's a lot of good iron man stuff like i i'm a dude who loves armor wars and armor wars too 
So, oh, all right. An Armor Wars 2 Defender. <laughs> I wouldn't say Defender. I will say I like it. Uh, if you were to ask me what it was about, I would almost certainly recount the plot of Armor Wars 1 and then forget what <laughs> it was about. Yeah. Uh, 2 is the John Romita Jr. one, right? It's got the Mandarin and Fang Foom in it. It's good. Two's, uh, two's John Byrne, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. It, Byrne writes and, and John Romita Jr. draws, right? And sure. it says Armor Wars 2, even though the original Armor Wars was not called Armor Wars, it was called Stark Wars because it was That's a Star right. Wars one. Uh, anyway, yeah, look, I could get, I'm already derailing it. But yeah, like, I think there's a really interesting pushback on the characters that weren't, I mean, I mean, quite frankly, that weren't the popular characters. Like, Captain America is a like a great character, like probably honest to God, like my second or third favorite Marvel superhero. I love him. I think he's great. Uh, but I feel like that book was like, that book wasn't doing Spider-Man numbers in, in no. the eighties and nineties. Uh, and, and look, I love Mark Grunewald. I think that runs great. We're actually doing a, I mean, if you are a War Rocket Ajax listener, you'll know we're doing like monthly episodes where we're reading the entire Mark Grunewald run from 1986 to 1996 and talking about it. Uh, we do six issues at a time, so that'll be the rest of, of 2021. Mm-hmm. Uh, but th- those books were not X-Men. Those books were not Spider-Man. Like, th- those were the guys, right? Like, those were the ones that uh, the the guys who were so wildly popular that they were able to go start Image Comics were on. Like, you know, like, pre-Heroes Reborn, there was no, like, Rob Liefeld, Captain America. There was no Jim Lee, uh, Iron Man. Uh, that, like that's why it was such a big deal then because they wanted to recapture that magic. So you see this pushback from a lot of the, it's it's weird to think about them as older guys at the time, because, you know, in retrospect, they were all so young. Like everybody at Marvel was so young, right, uh, but like right. you see Walt Simonson do it in fantastic four where I remember wizard magazine used to dunk on the, uh, the new fantastic four issues all the time. Like it was a punchline hmm. and it's when I read those, I was like, okay, but did, did any of you read them? Cause it's a joke. Like the, the joke is it literally says in the cover. It's the most marketable comics magazine. Yeah. It's like, a, it's a heavy wink and a nod. Like he yeah, knows what he's doing. Yeah. It's, it's a good story, but it is clearly like this is how you sell comics. Right. And, and it is very much, winking at that. And I think Grunewald does uh, as well. Like Grunewald, a guy who had been there forever, uh, wrote, you ready for another one of my uh, patented hot takes? <laughs> Let's hear it. Yeah. Uh, this is the one no one agrees with me on. Uh, Squadron Supreme is as good as Watchmen, but nobody knows that <laughs> because DC kept Watchmen in print and Marvel didn't keep Squadron Supreme in print. We we have had this debate. We did uh, we did have the debate when we covered Squadron Supreme. Uh, we do have some listeners who will agree with you. So your uh, your supporters do exist. Um, we we found otherwise. We <laughs> our our judgment uh, scaled otherwise. Although I quite like Squadron Supreme, and I, I think Grunewald is is underrated in the sense of having some really smart things to say and doing some really inventive things with uh, superhero universes for sure. I think. I think the the edge that Watchmen has is that D- Dave Dave Gibbons draws the hell out of it. Like yeah. D- like Dave Gibbons puts so much work into that book and the layouts and and like the language of comics in that book. Script it's a big wise, edge. Squadron Supreme is every bit as good and maybe better. Every bit as good. 
and and that is a I will fight that fight. I will die on that hill. As it's it's literally people don't believe me because because people have told them Watchmen is better. That's the only reason. That's that's the only reason. <laughs> that's my. That's, it is definitely cemented in the uh, in the cultural consciousness that Watchmen is the superior work, and I I enjoy the take. Although certainly uh, having read. Both of them a handful of times. Squadron Supreme does not come out on top for me. But I hear you. I hear you. And I, I love Grunwald's take on it. But you're right. I mean, these these guys, like Grunwald in particular, is like such a, a superhero nut. Like he's such a, you know, he had such a rep for continuity that, you know, he's he is who Mobius M. Mobius, now famous of the Disney Plus Loki series, is based on. Um in another looks like Mark Walt Grunwald. Simon's fantastic work. Yeah, and he's and right, exactly. He's designed like the entire TVA staff is Mark Grunewald, which is great um, in, in retrospect. But okay, so before we get deep on Grunewald, which I, I hope that we can, talking about this Kaminsky run on Iron Man and kind of how it's yes. in a, a very similar pattern, essentially, a very similar place of, yeah, of making Tony Stark, of making Iron Man nobody's favorite hero. Again, like to your, to your backdrop, like this is no one's favorite, not no one's, obviously. Like there's good stuff. There's good Demon in the Bottle, um, a lot of good David Michelinie stuff. But like, you know, he's not cool at this point. And they're trying to do that, and they do that with War Machine. Um, and the way that this plays out plot-wise, just to very concisely summarize it, is Tony has been um, wounded in such a way that he's like on death's door. When we start this thing, he quote-unquote dies. He's actually put in cryogenic freezing. And as this is happening, basically, he says to Jim Rhodes, um, hey, I'd like you to carry on as Iron Man, aka War Machine, and also you're like the new leader of Stark Industries. So basically, he leaves everything to Rhodey for however many issues it's going to take for him <laughs> to obviously return from this not death. He's basically in a coma where uh, where he learns a lot about himself and how his dad is the worst. But essentially, that is the the plot here that sets up Jim Rhodes as the once again Iron Man. Because this is not the first time, right? I, Rhodey takes over the Iron Man role when Tony is recovering from um, his alcoholism the first time, really, or after the first kind of relapse. And, uh, you know, we have Rhodey as the, as Iron Man famously and like Secret Wars, which is, uh, again, a friendly reminder, one of the best stories of all time. Yes. And so we get, we get Rhodey here taking on the War Machine armor, doing things his way. I like once this book flips from Tony wearing this armor and just kind of trying to like, like try on something new, you know, and it becomes a roadie trying to be Iron Man and the leader of a company book. Uh, I wish it was a roadie book for longer, honestly, because even by the time we get to issue 287, you can already see like, oh, Tony's Tony's on his way back. It doesn't last for very long, um, which I think is to its detriment. I actually think this book got a lot more interesting when roadie becomes, uh, you know, basically the Iron Man figure. Um, and obviously he'll go on to be War Machine for a minute. Uh, Chris, what is your, do you have memories of like, or not memories, like, I guess, what is your take on Jim Rhodes as War Machine, as this Iron Man figure? Um, do you like it when he's like the lead in this book? Or do you think it works here? Or do they need, do they kind of need Tony for this book to function properly? I, it's, it's a really interesting contrast between the Marvel universe and the DC universe. Like it, it, in a lot of ways, I feel like, I feel like what's better Marvel versus DC, you know, it's like, that's a false argument. Cause, cause what, what's better? These, uh, these, uh, Marv Wolfman, Marvel comics or these Marv Wolfman DC comics. Mm-hmm. None yep. of them are good. <laughs> 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 that's my own hot take. Just Team Titan Titan Marvel, Blender. You're, Love you're it. a delight. Uh, 
but like DC, particularly at this time, like post crisis, uh, going into the nineties, DC was rebuilding itself around the idea of legacy characters, right? Because that had always been the forward momentum of DC comics going back to Barry Allen becoming the flash. Like, uh, like Barry Allen reads a golden age flash comic in his first appearance and names himself the flash. Cause he liked to read about Jay Garrick and comic books. People forget yeah. that. Uh, and so like post crisis, you had, you had Wally West, you had like uh, Dick Grayson becoming Nightwing, uh, actually the second Nightwing, uh, Clark Kent being the first Nightwing. Uh, but you know, you had, uh, all of these, you know, Tim Drake as Robin, uh, the multiple green lanterns eventually culminating in like Kyle Rayner taking over the book. It, it was about passing down legacies until about 2005 when they decided to, to blow that up. Uh, Marvel had never been about legacy characters because what Marvel does is they introduce characters who become legacy characters for a little while. And, and Rhodey is the prime example of this. Rhodey's kind of like the, the, the flagship character for this idea. Yeah. Uh, you introduce, you know, your, your hero's got a buddy, he's going to take over and or, or they're going to take over. And in a year, 18 months, your guy will be back uh, in the role. They did it with, uh, with Rhodey, obviously uh, did it with, um, you know, like more recent examples, uh, Bucky Barnes and Sam Moulton, both having their 10 years as Captain America went, you know, ending when Steve Rogers comes back to the role. Uh, let's see who, who else we got. Uh, Thor, Eric Masterson was Thor. Yeah. Like, right around this time. You got Thunderstrike going. Yeah. Infinity Gauntlet. Uh, it's funny. Like, and the reason you can chart this, and I always think this is funny is that until secret invasion, I think there had never been a big Marvel comics, like, like full company event that had the, you know, quote unquote, classic versions of all the characters in it. Cause it was either, uh, Rhodey in secret wars, uh, mm. uh, Eric Masterson in infinity gauntlet or, yeah. Uh, like even up through civil war where Thor is dead and there's a, you know, the weird clone, uh, that according to Marvel puzzle quest was called Ragnarok, but I never heard of it. Thank goodness for Marvel puzzle quest, you know, and I can't, I can't dispute that with secret wars too, because that would require reading it in any <laughs> greater level of depth. And I will not do that. <laughs> secret wars two secret is wars two, you've got Spider-Man. It's, it's Peter Parker, but it's Spider-Man in the black costume. Black so suits, not, buddy. Yeah, yeah, not quite. It's never the classic version, you know. It, and there was no real like. There really wasn't even a classic Avengers lineup until like th until 1997. You know, like the Avengers were very much in flux like all the time. So it's, oh yeah, oh yeah. It's interesting to think about how that was their tactic for introducing new characters, uh, all of whom ended up in Force Works. <laughs> right yeah which we might have to touch on here no you're spot on i mean i think Rhodey is yeah he's very very um you know iconic in terms of like what marvel legacy did mean up until much later in the in the publisher's history uh which is very very tentative very transitory phases where you know basically yeah it's just you're waiting it out until the other character is back and again this book is it's making no pretense about that right like we're we're getting scenes of tony it's clear he's going to come back um he's learning that his father was an alcoholic that it's you know this is 
and you know abusive in many ways. So he's learning about himself. It it felt to me very very much like Kaminsky and Hopgood doing kind of their Frank Miller's early Daredevil, you know, in terms <laughs> of like v- literalizing kind of how Tony Stark became Iron Man. <laughs> like, like his dad has a saying, which is like Stark men are made of iron, which is maybe very Game of Thrones even. Um, but it's like, it, and you know, so that's kind of like that thing of Miller where, you know, the kids are picking on him by calling him Daredevil. It's, it's literalizing a lot of what Tony Stark's life has been. I don't know that it's, especially effective but it's definitely going for it helping us understand i guess tony stark's origins in a way where it, i think readers for the longest time are very content just to say like yeah he's the he's the howard hughes of stanley's imagination he's the rich guy like i don't necessarily need to see the rich kid and build up a lot of pathos that way but but kaminsky is trying for that um and it, it's semi-effective here and there but mostly i like this book for Rody. Um, I appreciate how often he curses out Tony Stark. <laughs> like, it's actually one thing I really like about both these and the Cap Wolf issues is how often characters are literally just like, "What the f?" <laughs> like, you know, and they have to blur they have to blur it out because it's Marvel Comics. Um, but they just very frequently like are just kind of like, "Hey, we can we can do curse symbols now." <laughs> like, we don't have to we don't have to beat around that bush. Um, this comic has really weird things to say about Prozac, but I don't know how in depth I want to get into that. Uh, but otherwise, like. If you like Jim Rhodes, if you like the concept war machine and what he'll become in the 90s, um, this is a good starting place. And uh, it's definitely like, again, that that 90sification of, yeah, his armor's a gun. If you're going to just go design wise, Uh, I don't know reading these again that I would say like the Kaminsky run is like a deeply underrated gem. But I do think when people talk about 90s Avengers like series Maybe Grunwald Cap gets brought up here and there. I don't think Iron Man gets brought up really hardly ever as one of the books worth reading. And I actually think from like, you know, it goes from 92 to 95. Like it's actually one of the better books during that time um, as, as the Marvel landscape kind of spirals towards uh, the, you know, the perfectness of Age of Apocalypse. So, all right. Any, any, any final thoughts there on, uh, on Iron Man and, uh, and this little run here? Well, Yes. Uh, for one thing, I, Link Kaminsky is one of those those creators who, if you're going through back issues at a at a con or at a, a comic book store, like I have been known to do on occasion, uh, like Link Kaminsky is someone whose name comes up a lot and that nobody ever talks about, and I feel like he's in that that air with uh, like like a Doug Monch, uh, mm. who. You know, like that is a Doug Monch, a dude who was on Batman forever that nobody talks about. Like these are all, these are all like big runs, like long lasting runs. Uh, but because they weren't on X-Men for 17 years or, or Captain America for 10 or Thor for five, like it's, it's easy to overlook them because they weren't the ones that were like breaking new ground. Yeah. And it's it's weird to see how many of those like you know, and I don't mean this disrespectfully to uh, Kaminsky like but like you know like a workman like like he is a uh, not not John Workman but like a very workman like comics very uh, reliable in in their way uh, and I, th- I think you're right like I think it's worth uh, like kind of looking back on a lot of those things because there's 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 some gold in them their hills. Uh, there's there's a steadiness to them that I would actually agree with. There's also like it, it's a very you know it's very early '90s maybe late '80s action, um, which I know you're a big fan of, Chris. But it's like there's there's kind of just some inherent charm and humor 
in that, you know, in house like like Rhodey gets in a lot of superhero action lines, <laughs> like a ton. And there's there's some charm to that. Um, there's a lot of charm, I thought, to constrictor of all people, the supervillain <laughs> saying that he's uh he's on the scene to hear the lamentations of their women. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, the, the, like the who the heck are you? Are, are quoting uh, Conan, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was incredible. Um, there's there's some fun stuff in this for sure. So yeah, I, I would say for fans of Iron Man, especially, like this is this is a run to go back to. I mean, there's good stuff happening here. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing that I want to say is like, I do think this is a good example of you, you know, Marvel using that that legacy character idea to really like launch and establish new characters. Like Rhodey doesn't go anywhere. Right. You know, Rhodey sticks around. Rhodey leads multiple books in the era. Like he's a he's a big deal. And could the same be said of Eric Masterson? Only if you ask uh, Tom DeFalco, uh, who will tell you <laughs> the world still needs heroes. Uh, but like you know, the Eric Masterson was still like Thunderstrike runs for a couple of years. Uh, there's it's it's a strategy that I think they employed to great effect uh, that. Maybe like, you know, other like, like DC never really got the hang of, of, of having any of these characters coexist with their, their previous incarnations. Whereas like Marvel was just like, yeah, here's, here's a different Iron Man. You're right. And this does a better job of, of that, you know, that run of Rhodey as Iron Man in the, in the eighties where he takes on the armor, but then he goes back to just being a, a supporting character without, you know, the the superhero codename, right? Whereas this build, like you're saying, is, yeah, it's, it's purposeful. It's actually getting him out of the shadow of Tony in some ways and giving him his own codename, his own purpose, and then, yeah, eventually, like, kind of his own books and his own teams in a way that is pretty successful. Um, so it's, yeah, it's a nice template in that regard, too, to consider, like, okay, what did they do with Rhodey here? But, you know, to, to that end, too, it's like he had, you know, a, a decade plus of being built up as a supporting character in Iron Man books before he got this moment too, which is, you know, the sure. thing we could say like, all right, maybe that, maybe that should have happened faster. But um, he didn't, you know, like Rhodey didn't have to die to bring Tony back, you know? Right. Right. Uh, and, yeah. and I feel like in a lot of ways, when we look back on the more successful, like, you know, replacement characters, like it's going to end up being characters like, like Rhodey and shield slash. And and Sam Wilson and Bucky Barnes are like in a completely different class from Eric Masterson because they stuck around for a long time. Forever, uh, yeah. And and then they kind of stepped into their own role. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean like I I think they shouldn't have hurried up Rhodey a little bit. I think they could they probably could have stood to to move him down the line a little faster. But like. These are characters that thanks to that continuity and thanks to the kind of soap opera nature of the Marvel universe and comics in the eighties and nineties, like you knew Rhodey, you knew what his deal was before he was war machine. And I think that's, I think that's valuable in getting people to get on board with a new character. Like we, we know, Shield slash. we know Sam Wilson, we know Bucky. Well, we didn't really know Bucky Barnes at the time, but you know, close enough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. No, I think you're right. I, I think it, it makes the bridge a lot easier to, to travel across when you have, that familiarity. Um, so when, when Rhodey takes on the armor here, it's not shocking in any capacity. It's just like, yeah, that's, that is what he does. <laughs> like we right. know that about him and we know his character um, and it works quite well, but yeah, I, I do enjoy this as a Jim Rhodes story and, uh, and for the Iron Man franchise, I think overall it's a, a positive speaking of positives for 
various Avengers franchise. Let's transition here to Cap Wolf, Man and Wolf, parts one through six. This is Captain America 402 to 407, written by Mark Grunewald, art by Rick Levins, with inks by Danny Blondie. We got colors by Gina Young, letters by Joe Rosen. This is all edited by the Karate Kid himself, Ralph Macchio. Chris, uh, obviously we, we led into this saying Cap Wolf is quite incredible. Um, I do want to say before we dig in, so like in the My Marvelous Year Club, we've read not as much Grunewald as, what is it, the Falchris and the, the Wilson Soldier? <laughs> is that right? <laughs> Falchris and the Wilson Soldier. And coming yeah. up with that terrible poem was how I convinced Matt that we should do it. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Uh, we have not read literally all of it, but we have read, uh, we read a good chunk of the Captain Saga and kind of, you know, the debut of John Walker. Um, I would say for my money, I think those are the best Grunwald cap issues, or at least I've felt that way historically. Um, but as we get to the end of this cap wolf arc through 1992, Grunwald is straight up a hundred issues into his run. So we're jumping ahead for you uh, a number of years. Where, where are you guys at in your, in your run through? Are you up to, uh, let's see, we're doing 402. Are you in like the 350 range or are you way earlier? Oh, no. We're way back. We're at like 320. Like John Walker was just introduced. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So that's well, like 86, 87 range. Yeah. Another, so jumping way ahead. It was Captain America for a little while and then got his new own new identity. You know, to, yeah. Yeah. Well. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but yeah, so he's Grimald's a hundred issues into this run. He's been spinning a ton of ideas, you know, a million ideas per minute. And we're in this post Avengers Operation Galactic Storm era, which is the event ah! that we covered last episode, <laughs> which is a big old nothing. Cap, though, he's really doubting his leadership, right? He's he's really wrestling, and this is what I was talking about leading into this, with the wave of heroes that are kind of replacing him. Um, there's a moment, Chris, in issue 401, you guys will, will probably read this when you get to it, in the, the Grunewald read-through, where Captain America post-Galactic uh, Storm, that, that event ends with... Uh, basically half the Avengers deciding they want to kill the, the Supreme Intelligence and half led by Cap saying like, no, murder is bad, right? And what Cap does post that battle is he schedules a lecture on ethics and is really visibly depressed when only Black Widow, Hawkeye, and Scarlet Witch show up. <laughs> it's very quintessential, old-fashioned Steve Rogers. It's also kind of sad, um, but that's where Cap, Wolf, or Cap is at going into this story where like he's kind of trying to get his mojo back he's kind of trying to figure out what it means to be captain america again and one way he does that is by saying like hey i've been kind of letting down the people in my life like i don't i don't know where john jameson is um famous son of my uh, son Jonas the jameson. astronaut exactly J. Jonas' son the astronaut who is also a werewolf as as is relevant to this um oh, a he doesn't star god oh and man, he's captain got so friend <laughs> he's got he's got so many roles uh he's also got uh, he doesn't know what happened to d-man he wants to go find demolition man and uh oh and nobody quite knows what's going on with diamondback although we of course as readers do we'll talk about that a little bit so cap goes on a mission uh basically to find his friends and that is kind of the ostensible purpose of man and wolf although it really escalates from there before we go any further time for an ad break if you're listening to this podcast, you clearly love comics. You may even love deep, analytical takes on comics. So we think you might like Super Serious 616. Super Serious 616 is a podcast that explores what it would be like to live through the beginning of the modern Marvel age of comics. It is unlike any podcast that you have heard before. 
Mike and Ed talk about the public events from the early Silver Age of Marvel Comics as if those events were actually happening. As superpowered heroes and villains, gods, and monsters become everyday occurrences, Mike and Ed talk about the ramifications of the changes thrust upon the world. Would the Fantastic Four be welcomed as costumed do-gooders, or would their motives be questioned? Will there be superpowered Cold War with Russia? Will the appearance of Thor and the emergence of gods from ancient myths lead people to re-examine their own religious beliefs? Is Iron Man a good use of Stark Core shareholder capital? If Reed Richards had developed podcast technology in the 1960s Marvel Universe, this would be the show everyone would be listening to. So join Mike and Ed every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on Super Serious 616 as they chart the evolution of the Marvel Universe from the ground up as it happens. All right, back to the show. Uh, Chris, I'll kick it to you. What are your big picture uh, takes on this Captain America story? Um, what are the things that really grip you the most about it? Probably that time that uh, that Cap was a werewolf. I would say <laughs> no. Uh, like there's there's so much good stuff in this, and, and you really touched on it. But I think an an important thing about uh, Grunwald and the way he writes Cap is that he's not afraid to write Cap as a square. Like Grimwald, Grimwald's a cool dude, you know, like d- does look like if you want to know what he looks like, imagine not movie star, handsome, uh, Owen Wilson <laughs> as, as Mobius and Mobius. Uh, celebrities. Yeah. But you know, that's basically what, like that little caricature of him that runs in, uh, in some of these, these comics. And if you, uh, look at the coolometer every now and then you'll find it. Uh, but he's even, in like the eighties, like he's willing to be like, you know, Captain America is a man at a time. Uh, he's a square. He's got a little bit of old fashioned sensibility. Uh, he talks like Adam West Batman in a lot of the early Grunwald run. And yeah. I don't think that like, that's tough to pull off. Like I don't usually like playing up the man at a time stuff with Captain America. Cause you know, in, in my conception of captain america like uh i think uh chad bowers who was the my co-writer in x-men a2 once said like yeah you know cap gets thought out and spends like three weeks on the internet and he's good like he, he gets he figures it all out he's like yep i'm up to speed i know how to use computers now great mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh but i think playing him as a guy who's like a little bit like j- just you know square it's the only word i can i can think of that accurately describes how he writes captain america and so him like being like, Hey, we need to talk about ethics. And then the only people showing up being, uh, uh, three former villains, two of whom like consider cap to be like the reason they, uh, kind of are not villains anymore, especially in Hawkeye's case. And right, Eric right. Atchison, who is basically a child. <laughs> like, it's <laughs> yeah. very funny and like very appropriate because that's, that's who would show up to listen. Can I start going to show up and listen? So Captain America talk about ethics. He doesn't care. Like mm-hmm. uh, he's busy dying over in his own book. Uh, and the reason you can tell that like Grunwald is not using like that aspect of Captain America as a mouthpiece is because of who all's around him. Like Diamondback is not a square. Diamondback is the opposite of a square, which I guess maybe is a diamond because it's a square <laughs> turned around. A bit. Uh, exactly. But yeah, like it's it's weird that this is a hundred issues in. Like almost it's 307 is when Grunwald comes on. I think 306, 307. Mm-hmm. And like, 
he's doing the same stuff. Like he's still ex- like he's back to exploring that thing where he's like, I don't know what to do with myself right now. I better go hang out with D man. Like that's, that's <laughs> essentially what the first year and a half, two years of, uh, of Grunwald's run are about. And so like th- that is a thing that he keeps coming back to, but also keeps finding g- genuinely like interesting new takes on how to deal with that. Like in this case, becoming a werewolf. Um, yeah. No, absolutely. And I mean, you joke about, you know, like, oh, the werewolf part's awesome. And it is. But I I do think it's easy for someone who maybe hasn't read these before to assume that like, okay, like, like, oh, this is the cap werewolf story. I can kind of see how that would play out. He's going to get turned into a werewolf. Hijinks will ensue and then we'll go back. That's actually not how it plays out at all. Like it's I I think Grunewald, one of his kind of superpowers is it's so evident in this story which is he's so good at making full use of the marvel playground like yes, this book absolutely. goes it just goes everywhere we get dr druid's 90s glow up introduced which is incredible like he shows up looking ripped with a ponytail we get cap traveling all over meeting up we get a bunch of x-men cameos and it's not it's not even i mean it's a little bit that simon said not in a week fantastic four thing of like Hey, how are we going to market this thing? Let's put Wolverine on the cover. But it also makes sense, you know, the way Grunewald does it. Like he pulls in the wolf-based people. He pulls in, uh, you know, Rain Sinclair and Feral. And and then that brings Cable into it. So it's like even the way he gets the hot commodities as cameos has a a through line of Marvel continuity that makes sense. Um, I, I really enjoy it. And it's just like the story is it's a lot fuller than I think I ever expected when I read it the first time in that it's like, it's not quite, you know, it's not Infinity Gauntlet. It's not a Marvel event, but it's a Marvel Universe comic. Like, it touches all the bases. And that makes it extremely fun, I think. Mark Grunewald was, you know, he, he was the keeper of the continuity, right? Like, that was his deal. Uh, yeah. ha- had that steel trap mind for continuity, put it to good use in, in everything that he wrote. Uh, but as a friend of mine, once said, uh, my buddy Scott Simmons, who I used to work at the comic book store with, uh, he we used to have conversations about continuity, like, and this would be like in the two thousands when like the ultimate stuff was really big, and people were like, yeah. "Yeah, we don't need continuity." And Scott said, and it has stuck with me ever since. Continuity is just a big word that means shit makes yeah. sense. Yeah, and he's not wrong. And like you said, a bunch of wolf stuff's happening, so that brings in Rain Sinclair, and that's why Cable shows up. Like stuff weirdly. It's I, I don't like it when comics are realistic, right? Like I think realistic is a false idea in comics, and I hate it when people are like, yeah, this is this is a realistic comic. They're going to deal with realistic problems. No, they're not. They're they're not. That's not what they are. Uh, but you need to have an internal consistency. That's way more important than realism. There needs to be a progression of if this, then this, and that's how a shared universe like superhero comic works best. Because the entire reason that people like capital M capital C Marvel comics is because mm-hmm. it's a shared universe. You know, like I don't, I don't say like, yeah, I really like Paramount movies, which is why like, it's silly that companies like maybe people do that with Disney because they have such a defined aesthetic, but nobody says is out there being like, oh man, love universal. Unless they're talking about the universal monster movies, which share an aesthetic, like, People say they like Marvel comics. They like the Marvel universe. They like the DC universe. They like the MCU, you know? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's because there's a logical progression and because you can use stuff from one 
in another. You can pull in like like you can pull in Wolverine if you want to. You can you can have uh like <laughs> you can have if John Jameson's a werewolf. Okay, John Jameson's a werewolf. John Jameson, <laughs> yes. who is J. John Jameson's son, he's John Jonah Jameson the third, as you might know. J. Jonah Jameson actually being J. Jonah Jameson Jr. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, like he's a werewolf. He's also Captain America's pilot. Those are not related stories. Those do not happen in the same like book at all. But both of them happen, and that means if Captain America, like, like if Captain America is gonna know there's a problem with John Jameson, he's gonna want to go look for him because they're friends. What's a problem John Jameson would have? Well, he's a werewolf. <laughs> So, <laughs> like, it, yeah, it's yeah. that it's that internal logic and internal consistency that really makes that, that I think Grunewald is better at than almost anyone in comics. And it's that it's that you can see the love of superheroes in everything he wrote. Like Squadron Supreme, Squadron Supreme is a love letter to superheroes. As weird as it sounds, being that yeah. that is the you know, being the subject matter of that book. That's a dude who could not love superheroes any more than he does. And and because of that, he's able to approach them in a way that does deal with you know, you know, some mature ideas. Like I think one of the best parts about this book is like uh uh the Red Skull, like finding out that the Red Skull is abusing um oh what is what is her name? Uh Mother Knight. Mother Knight, yeah. Yeah, Mother Knight. Sorry. I was getting her confused with Nocturna. Uh, who was the vampire who had a custody battle with Batman over who got to raise Jason Todd. That's, and, uh, that's an incredibly yeah. fair mix up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Like the, the part where, where she's talking to crossbones and like, you find out that, that red skull has been like abusive. Like it's not surprising. We know red skulls are real shield slash. Posse, you yeah. Know? That's, that's his thing. Right. But it's still like, it's a little surprising and a little, unusual to have that conversation happen between crossbones who's a man in a skull mask and mother knight who is dressed like a vampire like but it works because i think grunewald's other gift he treats the universe as a universe and he treats the people as the as people mark grunewald mm-hmm. writes supervillains like they're people which is maybe not revolutionary today but like i i think he does the opposite of what uh, like, look, I, I have no, I, okay. I had no desire to watch Cruella DeVille movie before I found out that her mother was killed by Dalmatians. And I was like, well, maybe when it's, when it's <laughs> like, I don't, I don't care about, I don't care about the villain absent the hero. You know, I don't care about Joker if Batman's not there because that's not what they're for. So I don't think you need to, you know, not every villain needs to have that sympathetic origin. Not every villain needs to have their psyche explored. But it helps if you treat them like people and you treat them with as characters with motivations. They want something. They they have personalities. They're going to get worried if Scourge starts murdering them all. Uh, Grunewald, right, like, very early on, introduces the Serpent Society, which is a, a supervillain corporation where people kind of, like, go to work and be snake people. Yeah. And I feel like you yeah. get that a lot in in the backup stories, the diamondback stuff here, which this is actually the story that made me think diamondback was the best captain America love interest. Believe it or not, like the backup story stuff in here with diamondback and crossbones and, 
uh, Mother Night and like all that stuff. I was like, oh, Rachel Layton kicks ass. Well, and I love I, I love too so much of I mean, so much of what you're saying too ties into these backup stories where and these have been building for issues and issues where Grunewald uses the last like five pages or so to tell basically Cap America villain stories. Um, in this case, specifically, Crossbones has kidnapped Diamondback and is basically uh, torturing and imprisoning her to make her his um, lackey, like his supporting villain. And he's doing all this to get back in the good graces of the Red Skull. And it's sometimes, uh, you know, very, very difficult to see this level of villainy. Crossbones sucks like he's he's awful. Um, But again, to your point, they're also there's also very human motivation to these characters with the exception of the red skull who is about as inhuman as they come right and that's his that's his point there's no there's no empathetic origin of the red skull nor should there ever be um because he is is basically evil personified but with crossbones even or more specifically with diamondback we learn more about her um and in these backups i i just love i love structurally the fact that these issues contain those stories that continue to build out the universe that do sort of builds towards things that are clearly going to come later in runs without it being that like, you know, that very Chris Claremont-esque like, hey, here's a page <laughs> that is very different. Um, as much as I love the Claremont X-Men, it's like, you know, plot, plot, plot all over the place. Uh, Grunwald structurally is just like, yeah, I'm just going to put that villain stuff in the back and we're just going to build that issue by issue and let that play out. And Diamondback is put through the ringer, like, like, beyond beyond what most people could take and it does make her uh very very interesting and and unique as a, a captain america love interest in a way that because again she is originally part of that serpent society too where it's like okay reform supervillain run that back to the avengers 16 you know lee and kirby run it's like okay what is what does that say about cap's business reforming supervillains like like his interest in that his history in that there's just a lot of layers to her that you can go to um and they're a nice little change of pace after the really fun, thrilling Capwolf stuff. Uh, so yeah. I, I do quite enjoy all of that being in there. As far as the Capwolf story goes, I mean, I I love all the integration like I talked about. I love the X-Men integration. Like, well, So you basically what you have here, in terms of plot, you have a, a town, essentially, where uh-huh. people are being turned into werewolves. And uh, Captain America with Dr. Druid in their quest to find John Jameson, they run into this town. They run into Moon Hunter, who uh, appears to be a supervillain named Moon Hunter. It turns out that's also his last name, which is amazing. Fantastic stuff. Uh, Who who should, by all rights, be Moon Knight? Because Moon Knight originally appeared as a werewolf hunter. but A hypnotized Moon Knight would have been a nice touch. Yeah, I, I wonder if like Grunwald originally like thought of this as having Moon Knight, and then just kind of like, you know, like fine, I'll give him a different name, whatever. It is funny to to read this story and then consider the thing that he might have been like, no, that's a bridge too far, <laughs> because there's there's so many things that are jammed into this. Like we get Jack Russell, the werewolf by night, shows up at one point uh, for a very brief integration. It's almost just like we're doing a werewolf story. We better have a place for jack like he needs to fit in here somewhere which which like that's like that's the thing right like if we're if this then this if somebody's going around getting werewolves well i better get all the characters who are werewolves or else this doesn't make any sense yeah yeah and that's how you get uh you know cap in the wolf pack which is which is brilliant but so you have 
basically kind of mystical shenanigans. Um, they are they're turning people into uh, werewolves. You have Nightshade, a character here who is you know basically the the scientist, sort of a mystic scientist who is able to turn people into werewolves. And then you have Dreadmond Druid, who is uh, basically basically wants to be like the you know basically wants to be a cosmic god um which over the course of this story as we get to the end of this means him turned into basically if jim starlin drew eternity as a wolf <laughs> which is which is really excellent fun as well summary. what's that excellent summary of, of oh, that thanks. like that's exactly what he is <laughs> thank you yeah no it's and it's great it's super fun um the whole thing i details that i love throughout this is all this is happening is uh the the werewolf the the people turning people into werewolves, Nightshade and company, they capture Wolverine first before they capture Captain America. And with Wolverine, they try to turn him into a werewolf, but his his mutant healing factor means he turns into werewolf for like a second, and then he turns back into Wolverine. So instead, they just hypnotize him, which leads to, of course, all sorts of Wolverine versus Captain America battles. Eventually, they capture Cap. He is turned into a werewolf. And then in the back half of the story, we get the official Cap Wolf. He is... Still cap, but he can only talk in wolfish, and uh, and he has to connect with these werewolves to find a way out of this. Uh, it the thing reminds me a bit of Simonson Frogthor, you know, in mm-hmm. the sense of like just that delightful charm of turning a hero into a creature, where then they have to function within the realm and sort of the like you said that that internal consistency of how this creature would function in this world. Because that's what Captain America has to do. He's not just like slinging his shield around with cool werewolf powers. He's like growling at werewolves to try to get them to form a pyramid <laughs> to make it out of a prison. Um, it's it's great. I, the whole thing is super fun. And it's it's that thing of it doesn't sound like a Captain America story until you read it. And then it it is 100% as kind of a success at being a Cap story. Uh, and I, I love that for it. Couldn't, couldn't be anything else. Yeah, it's such a Captain America story, uh, and and you know I, I talked about Grunwald not being afraid to write Cap as a square, and you talked about it like my favorite part of this this entire story, Cap as a werewolf wearing a Captain America costume, d- doing his thing, which is giving that inspirational speech. Right, that's Cap's Cap's powers. He stands up and gives that inspirational speech and motivates everybody to go out there and fist fight Thanos or whatever. Uh, yeah. But he's a wolf man with a dog brain. And so he's literally, he's literally saying like, freedom, <laughs> uh, broken, just laws. <laughs> uh, like he's growling his way through the speech and like l- literally, uh, uh, R, 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 we can be free if we join together. And then all the, you know, Jack Russell starts howling and everybody's really into it. And yeah. it's like, it's like, yeah, like, Grunwald's in on it. Like Grunwald, there's no way he doesn't know that's silly, but like, that's what cat does. And that's, that's what he's going to do. No matter what situation he's in, he's going to like do that inspirational thing. Cause that's who Captain America is. Like, you know, you talked about caps kind of uh, relationship with uh, reformed supervillains and like, isn't that the best power for cap to have? Like yeah. that, that he inspires people to be better, like like Diamondback, Hawkeye, you know, like like he's got all these you know, uh, Nomad, Jack Monroe, like he's got all these weird little hangers on 
that feel like they have to live up to what he wants them to be and what he believes they can be. And that's such a great power. Like I've always thought like Superman should be that guy in the DC universe. Like Superman should be like, there should be more reformed Superman villains Hmm. because it's like, well, geez, you know, first of all, I don't want to fight Superman because you know, I will lose. But also like the idea that like, there is this guy who, if he believes in you, you have no, no choice, but to, try to be better than you are and that's beautiful and that's using it's it's that perfect mixture of the kind of teary-eyed high concept stuff of like what what does captain america do he makes people better just by being around he 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 makes them believe in themselves and believe that they can be more than they are okay but he does live in a world where werewolves are like he does live in a world where there is a guy named jack russell who turns into a werewolf by night so, so how does that apply in that situation? Mm-hmm. And, and Grimwald's like, I can, I can show you. <laughs> I, it's right here. Yeah. Like it, it's yeah. what a great, like it is a, there are certain things that I point to and I'm like, if you don't like this, you don't like Marvel comics. And, and the, the one that really brought that up when we were doing every story ever was the uh, uncanny X-Men issue with Wolverine and black widow and captain America and Matt Report, the flashback issue. And I said sure. this, yeah. And I believe it. If you don't like that, you don't like Marvel comics. Like you, you might like individual Marvel comics, but if you don't like that story, that's what Marvel comics is. And I, I don't necessarily feel the same way about Cap Wolf because I will admit it is a, it's a very silly story, but I kind of feel like if it's not, if you don't like this, you don't like Marvel comics, but if you don't accept a universe where this happens, then you then you do not accept the Marvel universe. Like I, I I got in a a kind of extended uh internet argument years and years and years ago about Frankencastle, which To say to say that has Cap Wolf DNA is an understatement. Oh yeah, no, <laughs> it it's a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Like it is it's all up in in the the Cap Wolf aura. But like People were mad about that. It's like, yeah, I, I just don't believe this could happen in the core Marvel universe. And I was like, have you read any comics set in the core Marvel universe? <laughs> yeah. Cause you well, know, like, even- the first thing that happens is a dude becomes a rock monster by going to space. And I think the beautiful thing about Cap Wolf is you're, you're hundred percent right. Is Grunwald, he is in on it enough to know the silliness, but he's not embarrassed by it. You know, exactly. in, in the way exactly. that so many, like so many TV shows or, or movies, even nowadays, you know, it's that thing of like, and we see this all the time. It's like, okay, we got to give somebody their code name and we're a little embarrassed, you know, or like, oh, look at this silly costume, you know, that sort of thing. And it's like, I get it, you know, I get that we, we want to be cool and, and ironic and post, <laughs> post whatever. But it's like, Grunwald is just so wholly in on the shared universe magic that you described, um, where it's like, yeah, you, the only place this can happen. Where it can be Captain America as a werewolf with Wolverine and Cable and some of our other wolf-based favorites fighting a wolf god is in Marvel Universe Comics. It's the only place you can get that kind of story. And if you're not into that, I think I would agree with you in the sense of like, yeah, you're kind of missing some of the magic about this. I mean, I think the critique of Cap Wolf not to, you know, again, because it's not like this is literally my favorite story ever (laughs) like it's not there are flaws and there's a goofiness and there's sort of an an aimlessness i think in some regards i think the biggest critique i would have is 
I don't care about Starwolf, <laughs> who is the uh, what this Dreadman Druid becomes when he becomes the Star God. Like, I don't care about the villain in this story. You know, that's that's not the interesting part. I think Nightshade is potentially interesting character, but not super interesting here. Um, and then Moonhunter is is more goofy than not. So, like, there are holes you can poke in this for sure. Um, but I do think, yeah, the the thrill of it is like, oh yeah, the Marvel shared universe when it's explored by someone who just deeply connects with that stuff and kind of loves it is such a fun place to be and to hang out. Um, and, and I just, I'll always love that to your point about continuity, the way it can boost, you know, these stories in such a way where it's like, it's, it's not about the cameo. It's not about just having the character so much as like the rationale and the reasons they would be there and the ways they would interact together once they meet each other. Um, is like Grunwald is kind of a creator who just he just gets that uh, and he's he's spent decades basically getting it um, and it, it all comes through here in, in Capwolf which is again like I think you know people will read it and obviously you're a fan I'm talking pretty glowingly of it people will read it and be like it's fine <laughs> like and I and I and I hear that you know I hear that um, but I just think it kind of says it says so many things about what like what Marvel Comics can do that that other mediums and other stories just don't and uh, and I kind of love that about it. Uh, it's it's I think you hit the nail on the head with that idea about embarrassment. Like there's nothing I hate more in this world than like the oh would you prefer yellow spandex? You know like yeah yeah line because because you know what? yeah I actually would have preferred that because it wouldn't look dated in five years like like the like the X Men movie costumes did. It would look like Wolverine. <laughs> And by yeah. the way, I like Wolverine. That's why I'm here. So I, I guess, right? <laughs> like, yeah. If I, I think if we've learned anything from the MCU, it's that there are people out there who maybe they don't like the the medium of comics, which is fine. Like, look, it's my it's my favorite medium. I think the way you can tell stories in in comic books is better than the way you can tell stories in anything else. But I understand it's not for everybody, but those movies have proven that people like continuity. They like being rewarded for paying attention and they, and they like it when things get a little bit weird and those weird things interact with the more serious things like people like that. And I think the more you embrace that and the less you're, you're ashamed of it. And Grunwald is a, a person who's like never, you never, feels like he is anything but all in with the entire Marvel universe at all times. Like it, it is rewarding for a, a reader like me who wants to be rewarded for paying attention and wants to, and likes this stuff. You know, at the end of the day, I like Marvel comics. I, you know, I like DC comics. I like continuity. I like knowing about stuff. Uh, I I'm someone who like, I was like, Oh, I wonder what power Rangers mystic force is about. Well, I'm going to watch the 600 episodes before it and the 200 episodes after it. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I like knowing about stuff. And and that's, you know, that is what, it's the kind of person comics, superhero comics, particularly like after the, uh, after the boom in the 90s, when people stopped reading them, like I, I was still all in. Like I, I've said before, one of my most memorable experiences reading comics was reading X-Men when I was a kid. Uh, like, like loving the cartoon and going and and getting comics that weren't from Pizza Hut, you know, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. and kind of diving in 
and having the feeling like literally the the thought in com- a complete sentence in my head, I will never understand this. I will never read enough of these to know everything that's going on. And I can see why that would turn people off. But for me, that was a, that was a selling point. Like there's always going to be something new for me to learn about this. Like there's, I, I'm going to be, you know, they're going to talk about stuff that I don't know about and I'll get to go find out about it. Like, great. Awesome. Uh, yeah. That's not a thing. A lot of people are into, you know, a, a, you know how many, I'm surely you saw reviews of, uh, of, of end games that were like, this movie makes no sense. If you haven't seen the 23 movies before it. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, like, did you expect it to <laughs> like, do you start reading a book? halfway through buddy. Cause that's what this is. Yeah. But like, I, I feel like that is a, it's a rewarding way to constru- construct a story if you do it well. And even though people look down on the end of Grunewald's run, like even people who are like, Oh yeah, you know, like the John Walker stuff's really good. And like three fifty, like one of the greatest issues of all time, which it is. Uh, but like people look down on the end of the run. Cause like cap wolf streets of poison armor. And it's like, well, no, you, you, you haven't read them. Like I can tell you right now, you haven't read that story where Captain America gets armor. Cause if you had, you, you would know it's good. And that there's, a, it makes perfect sense that he gets armor and it's not just like, like, yeah. Is it kind of a wink and a nod, a uh, goose the sails move? Absolutely. Is there a perfectly logical, if this, then this story reason for it? Yep. Cause Mark Grunwald does not play around when it comes to that. Yeah. And honestly, I think that kind of tied it all back together. I think that connects in a lot of ways to, kind of how I framed the opening here of, you know, basically like, okay, what, what will it take to make Captain America one of the big players in Marvel comics during this era? And same with Iron Man, right? And you see these creators trying those things and with Grunewald, because <laughs> he'd be on this through 1995, essentially Grunewald's on this until issue 443. So he's got a long road to hoe here with plenty of comics to come. And yeah, something like something now where you might just look at a cover and be like, oh, look at that beefed up, armored up Captain America. That's ridiculous. That's so 90s. Whereas <laughs> just that's not the kind of creator he ever was. Um, and, and just like it doesn't mean all the comics are incredible, but I do think people often write them off as just like, well, there were no good Iron Man or Captain America comics from 1988 through, uh, you know, 1995 or something like that. Right. And it's like that's often misguided, I think. Um, and that's that's one thing, you know, to your point about never quite knowing everything and and enjoying that about the Marvel universe. That's one thing I enjoy about this, where we're at in the My Marvel Sheer journey, where as I put together the rest of these lists through 93 through 94, I'm really interested in re-exploring those types of runs where it's like, yeah, people don't talk about them. They don't get held up in the canon. Um, but is there fun stuff there that is worth revisiting and and worthy of even just, even if it's not like, you know, critical reappraisal even just like on a a joy level like is there charm to it and a lot of them you know aren't going to have that right like i don't necessarily expect like oh yeah uh defalco's thor or or fantastic four like secretly those are great you know but i think it it is kind of fun just to have that experience of like but i don't know but i don't know and i'm gonna go check it out and uh and see see whether you know more people should read along with them in the in the mmy club so all right chris kind of talked about this but where do you think Capwell fits in the Grunewald legacy in terms of like your appraisal of it? Like, do you think it's literally your favorite story in this run? Um, or are there other <laughs> chunks of it that you like better? Uh, no, absolutely not. <laughs> it's definitely <laughs> not my favorite story in the run. Cause like, yeah. cause that run has 
so many really good stories. Like it's, it's ridiculous how many great stories are honestly in that run. Um, like I, I love a lot of it, but I, I think I'd be lying if I said my favorite stuff wasn't like the, the stuff where John Walker is captain America and like what he ends up going through and how like shockingly violent it is, but also yeah. like how it completely breaks him as a person. And you know, he, he's kind of a shitty dude before he becomes captain America, but like mm-hmm. it, it is this, it's, it's very much this idea of, Hey, being captain America is hard. Like being a symbol is hard. And if you're not Steve Rogers, if you're not like of that caliber, it's going to be a real bad time for you. And like at the end of that story, like, like it's kind of surprising to me that John Walker comes back after uh, the, the climax of that story. Cause he's a broken person at the end of it. And I think that's really compelling. And it's not just, you know, it's not just uh, the, the, the other joke about this is like, you know, Tony Stark goes down to the basement for, 18 hours and he's not an alcoholic anymore. So, yep. Went down to the basement, built some new armor, sweated it out for, for for a day and a half. I'm going to go be Iron Man again. Uh, Which, you know, is, is how comics work a lot of the time. That's also how Batman uh, sheds venom (laughs) famously. Yes. That's how Batman. It's essentially how he fixes his back. Although Chandra Kin solving magic back fixing powers are involved in that one, but yes, I, I there think is some in the same way. Like I think like the aftermath of nightfall is actually very comparable to that story. Cause you know what? Being Batman's hard. It's not for everybody. Mm, yeah. And I feel like that's a good way to portray that and, and a way to like really commit to that story because there's like six months or it feels like six months. It might, it might be less than that, but there's like a hot minute there where Steve Rogers is not in that book. Steve Rogers yeah, like, well, I'm done right. being Captain America. And then they give John Walker the suit. And it's not like, there's not like backup stories about what Steve's doing for a little while. Uh, it's just about John, John Walker going on adventures with, uh, with Battlestar, you know, like it's, it is a, it's, it's a really masterful way to tell the story. And then when Red Skull comes in and he's like, yeah, Hey, guess what? John Walker, I did all of this to you just because I hate the guy whose shirt you're wearing. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it is a, again, you know what is it's better than when Ozymandias says he did it. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I'll, com- I'll commit to my bit. Yeah. Watchmen has been up twice. <laughs> Gr- Groomwald greater than more. That's you heard it here first folks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, it's I we we absolutely love that run reading it here on the club. Um, I it and I do. I mean, just your point about like John Walker's the main cap for so long, and just the way that would have set. I'm sure it set comics readers, you know, like on fire then, like writing letters. But just like the way everything escalates now, like people would have been losing their minds <laughs> if Cap if Steve Rogers hadn't been cap for that long in a story. Um, in this era, especially with like a new character, like you said, like John Walker, who starts as a like straight up villain and then, and then finds redemption. So I mean, or, or redemption of a sort, I mean, again, cause it's, it is nuanced and complicated even within that, but yeah, I, I fully agree. Those are my favorite Grunewald era cap stories, but, uh, but cap Wolf's pretty good, pretty good What's stuff. Wild is that that's not like, that's maybe the fifth best Marvel comic of the eighties of it, of, oh, of yeah. its contemporaries. Like it's so good. And it's not even like, 
it's not even like second place. <laughs> well, and it's right. Like, yeah, when you're reading some of those issues, you know, it's stacked up against, you know, Craven's Last Hunt or, or some of these iconic, you know, Simonson Thor stuff. So it's yeah. like, yeah, it's there's some there's some loaded stuff in there for sure. It's a good era. Um, 92 is interesting because it's like we're kind of on this like the cusp of a downturn, you know, like post Infinity Gauntlet. Like there's interesting stuff happen, but Marvel is in this kind of tenuous position right now. So next up for us on MMY, we're going to be reading Infinity War, which is the sequel to Infinity Gauntlet. Uh, we're going to do a little Warlock in the Infinity Watch and then the Infinity War event, um, basically in as much concentrated dose as you can sustain. <laughs> so if you want to read all the tie-ins, cool. You can find a reading order on comicbookherald.com. Uh, or if you just want to read the core event, that's what we'll be talking about in the episode uh chris where should people look for your stuff uh, where do you want people to find you uh everybody can find all of my stuff by going to the-isb.com uh if you've liked listening to me on this definitely go listen to the war rocket ajax uh podcast uh start with the every story ever issues uh or episodes if you want a, a good idea of what we do and how our tastes go uh i do a bunch of different podcasts i do um a podcast called sailor business uh, that we're coming up on the last episode of our episode by episode uh, Sailor Moon podcast. Uh, mm. We've done 199 episodes of Sailor Moon, and there's only 200, so that'll be out at the. Uh, I don't know when this is going up, but it's at the end of the month, uh, uh, June 30th, Usagi's birthday. Wow! Uh, yeah. Do, yeah, that'll be out. Uh, I also do a podcast called Apocrypals, which is that but for Bible, so it's it's very fun. Uh, which is, uh, I would say, a a good time uh, to listen to i think how do you how do you break up those episodes how much do you cover at a time uh generally we try to do one book or text because we also do uh apocrypha and and hagiographies uh along with it along with like the actual like you know 66 books of the bible that we have here uh, next to me uh but obviously there are some topics that we take some time with i think we did four parts of genesis Sure. Uh, you, I don't know if you know this. A lot happens in that one. Uh, <laughs> it's a busy the, one, yeah. The the tagline is that uh, it is a podcast where two non-believers read through the Bible, but we try not to be jerks about it. So okay. if that sounds like okay. something you would be into, uh, give it a read. Or, uh, sounds listen, interesting. I guess is what you do with those. <laughs> yeah, please, please do not just read the show notes. Uh, you can download as well. Uh, awesome. Cool. So, all right, everybody, this is my moral this year. I'm Dave. You can find my stuff at comicbookherald.com, at comicbookherald, pretty much anywhere on social. Um, and you can find the My Marvelous Year social at My Marvelous Year. You can write to us at mymarvelousyear at gmail.com with any questions. Again, all the comics that we'll be reading are listed here in the show notes. And music for the show is by Disasterpiece. So, thanks so much, everybody, for listening. Thanks so much, Chris, for joining. And uh, we will see you next year. 